Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM. We have got a busy show today, and some breaking news, obviously, for our region uh, with Senator Al Franken. First of all, the guest, uh, North Dakota Farm Bureau President Daryl Lees is going to be on. We're going to be talking about tax reform. A big claim made by critics of the tax reform is that it's bad for the agriculture community. Well, the Farm Bureau represents a big chunk of the agriculture industry in North Dakota. We're going to talk with them about how they're feeling about the tax reform bill, what's good, what's bad. Uh, that's coming up at 1230. Also at 1 o'clock, Attorney General Wayne Stengem has uh, joined in. He, he is supporting efforts uh, to to create a, a national reciprocity situation for concealed carry. This is a big, big issue for gun rights. We'll talk with him uh, coming up at 1 o'clock about that. And then, of course, at 1.30, uh, we'll have Congressman Kevin Kramer on for his weekly open phone segment. Uh, you can ask, call in and ask him anything. In fact, you can call in at any time if you want to join the show, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Now, first of all, the, the Franken situation, uh, Democratic senators now calling on him to resign. There was a seventh accuser which came out, this time a former congressional aide. Uh, her name is not being released to the, released to the public at this point, but she claims that uh, after a, a radio interview or, or something like that, uh, Franken attempted to force a kiss on her, which which seems to be a pretty common theme with Senator Franken. Anyway, uh, a group, uh, and th- there's been more all the time. I, initially, it was seven Democratic women. I Since then, the, the list has expanded. It does include North Dakota Senator Heidi Heitkamp calling on Senator Franken to resign. Also, Senator Franken's office tweeting out, I, I saw just a little bit ago, uh, they have an announcement scheduled for tomorrow. So I don't know, Natil, what do you think? Is he resigning tomorrow? I don't know. It's tough to tell because they're not saying anything about the context of that announcement. I I have to imagine that the timing of the announcement about the announcement means that maybe he'll be stepping back. I I think so. I I, I just I don't know how he holds on at this point. I mean, when you have, you know, and I, I think the number's up to like a dozen now of your Democratic colleagues, most of them women, if not all of them women. I, and, again, I haven't seen the full list. There have been people sort of announced breaking news now. But I don't know how you stand out. I, I don't know how you hold off and stay in the Senate at that point when your colleagues are calling on you to resign. Also, I wonder if Democrats aren't looking ahead. Uh, Roy Moore currently re- leading in the polls in Alabama. I think it's pretty tough for Democrats to hold Republicans accountable for Roy Moore when they're not doing anything about Al Franken. So I, I think that was probably part of the calculus. Al Franken, I think, I think probably going to announce that he's retiring tomorrow. That puts Democrats on a strong footing. Should Roy Moore get elected? And right now he does have a slim lead in you know the average of the polls, the, the real clear politics average of the polls in that Alabama special election. So we'll see. And frankly, I hope the Republicans follow suit with Roy Moore. I, I took issue today. The Grand Forks Herald had an editorial wherein they called Roy Moore a dilemma for Republicans. And I, I don't I don't even like using that word. He's not a dilemma. A, a dilemma, the dictionary definition of dilemma is when you're faced with a choice of two equally undesirable you know, choices. Well, I don't think it's an equally undesirable choice. I'm a conservative Republican. I don't like Democrats in the United States Senate. I don't like the idea of giving Chuck Schumer another vote for a left-wing agenda. 
But that being said, that to me is a more desirable outcome than putting someone like Roy Moore in the United States Senate. I don't buy into the idea that we should look past the credible allegations about his past sexual history. I don't buy that his being a vote for tax reform or for any other Republican bill in the United States Senate is an excuse to look past his bigotry aimed at homosexuals. Not to mention a lot of the other crazy things that he said. He is a despicable, repugnant human being. He has no place in the United States Senate. He has no place in the Republican Party, as far as I'm concerned. And I don't say that as somebody who wants a Democrat to win. I'm just not willing. To me, it's not about the Democrats winning. It's about whether or not Republicans are going to sacrifice their morality. So I hope what Democrats are doing with Al Franken, I think, is right. Seven accusers, enough's enough. It's time for him to go. I think the Democrats are doing the right thing. I hope if Roy Moore gets elected to the United States Senate, I hope Republicans have the guts, the gumption, the courage of their convictions to do the right thing and to call on him to resign or to even push to expel him from the Senate. And I'd have to look up. There is a process by which a senator can be expelled. I'll have to look that up. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, so that's what's going on. Meanwhile, my print column today is about the Democratic response to the tax reform bill, which has really just been off the rails. I, again, I don't have a problem with level-headed criticism, honest criticism, but demagoguery is nonsense. That, that was a subject in my print column today, talking about Nancy Pelosi saying that this bill was the worst bill in the history of the United States Congress. Give me a break. It was not. You know, We're talking about a Congress that has passed the Indian Removal Act, the Alien and Sedition Act, the Fugitive Slave Act. The tax bill is the worst bill ever. Just over the top, completely unserious. This is why we can't have debates. In fact, we, we have an audio. This is from the Washington Free Beacon. We actually have audio sort of rounding up the Democratic response to the tax bill in the media. This is crazy stuff. Let's play it. We are all going to die. This is Armageddon. Friday was my single worst day as a U.S. senator. It's, It's really akin to rape. This is the death penalty to the people in my district. How can our Republican colleagues be so heartless and cruel? I think it's as undemocratic and as anti-American as anything I've ever seen. One of the great robberies act of criminal activities, if you like, in the modern history of this country because the federal treasury is being looted tonight. That's why we call it a tax scam. We're educating the American public about this tax scam. Is the worst bill in the history of the United States Congress. This cruel, malign, malicious, misguided bill. If the Republicans pass this horrible tax bill with a health care repeal added mm-hmm. in, this is really devastating. But I think this could trigger a depression in the United States at some point. A depression in the United States, you really believe that? A re- recession, I'm sorry. My piece explains why an estimate that thousands will die uh, as a consequence of this bill is actually a very conservative uh, estimate. I didn't come down to Congress to rape and pillage the people of my district. Rape and pillage the people of his district. Are, Are you kidding me? Rape? 
That's what I and, and you know what's you know what's remarkable about that comparison? Comparing the tax bill to rape in the context of everything else that we've got going on right now, all the all the people who are all, all the women and, and some men, frankly, who are coming out about sexual harassment, about actual rape, and now we're gonna call a tax reform bill rape, pillaging, cruel, heartless, undemocratic. What what is undemocratic about it? And, and again, there is room, I think, for valid criticism of the tax reform bill. Now, I support it. I still, though, understand that it's not perfect. I understand that it's not perfect. I think it generally moves us in the right direction. And because it moves us in the right direction, I think it's good policy to pass. But I think we can have, uh, I, I think we can have a reasonable conversation about the tax bill. I think that we could have a reasonable conversation about what's wrong with the bill, what's right with the bill, things like that. What I don't think, though, is is, is we are helped by people saying that it's a death penalty, by people saying that it's rape. And that's what the Democrats are out there saying in their own words. I'm not making this up. This is what they're saying. And it's irresponsible. Completely irresponsible. Not to mention stupid. What do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. I keep telling myself. Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701 293 888-970-9329 We're going to talk with Daryl Lees in the next segment. We're going to talk with him about uh, the tax bill. Uh, the North Dakota Farmers Union coming out and said the tax bill is going to be bad for farmers. We'll get the Farm Bureau's take on that uh, as well. And then coming up next hour, uh, Attorney General Wayne Stenjum. Uh, is going to be on about uh, national concealed carry reciprocity, which I think is a really, really good idea. Uh, and until I, I think you know, Congress, we have Congressman Kramer, Kevin Kramer on every week, as he'll be on today, uh, every week, usually Wednesday, to take open phones. And a question he has asked almost every time he's on is about this national reciprocity situation. So I'm glad they're going to be taking it up, and we're going to be having a debate about it. Yeah, that'll be we'll, good. Uh, that'll be good. I don't know what'll come of it, but at least it's moving forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's always good to at least have the debate, and, and we're going to have Attorney General Wayne Stengerman about it. And, and listen, I, I think it's a good thing. I, I mean, whatever your position is on guns and, and concealed carry, you know, keeping and bearing arms is a constitutional right. Every state in the union has some form of concealed carry law. It's a little ridiculous that gun owners, lawful gun owners have to worry going state to state about getting caught up in some picayune uh, legal technicality because they didn't, you know, that their concealed weapons license in one state is different in another state or your your license isn't valid in another state. It, it It's a civil right in the United States of America. The Second Amendment exists. It's a civil right. 
And as such, I, I think it behooves the citizenry to have, uh, you know, a more uniform set of laws that allow us to go from state to state without having to worry about exercising our, our right to concealed carry. So I, I think it's a good thing to go. I think it'll almost certainly pass the House. The question will be in the Senate. Uh, maybe we could talk with Congressman Kramer about that a little bit later in the program as well. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Big news with Al Franken right now. Um, multiple, and it's it's over a dozen now, but but Democrats calling on him to resign. I He's, he's got an announcement scheduled for tomorrow. I don't. I don't know why. I, I I can't imagine what he's announcing other than the fact that he's resigning. I, I don't I don't know how you hold on to your Senate seat at this point with this many people coming out calling on you to resign. I I don't know how you hold on to it. So I I think his announcement tomorrow is he's going to be resigning. We had an emailer in a teal who wanted us to play. You could call me Al. On uh, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Uh, there's a lot of people making jokes about this right now. I, I'm seeing on Twitter somebody said he should come out in his Stuart Smalley persona. Um, I, I don't think it's that funny. You know, I I mean I I guess I guess people on on the right can all laugh about Al Franken, but Roy Moore may well be elected to the United States Senate. Is that a laughing matter? I, I don't. I I just don't think it's funny. You know, and I'm I'm not trying to be a prude. I'm not trying to be overly serious about this. I just don't think it's funny. These are people who got away with behavior that at best was caddish and at worst was downright criminal. Talking about the broad spectrum of people who have been accused. So I I don't know. I I guess I just don't think it's that funny. I, I think it's a I think it's a a subject of of sort of national disgrace. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, there was a, according to the Washington Post today, talking about another uh, person who was resigning, John Conyers. Um, Apparently, one of his accusers, when when an intern, uh, uh, according to the Washington Post, when an intern rejected Representative John Conyers advances. She says that he brought up Chandra Levy. Here's a quote. Uh, He said he had insider information on the case. I don't know if he meant it to be threatening, but I took it that way. I got out of the car and ran. Chandra Levy. Do you know who Chandra Levy is? You remember that, Natale? I don't. Chandra Chandra Levy was an American. She was an intern at the Federal Bureau of Prisons in Washington, D.C. She disappeared in May 2001, she was preserved, presumed murdered after her skeletal remains uh, were found, I think, in 2002. Um, she was actually having an affair with a congressman named Gary Condit. He was a Democrat from California's 18th congressional district. Uh, and, and there was all sorts of, and I don't, I mean, nothing has been proved or anything like that. But she was having an affair with him at the time she disappeared. Now, if you're an intern and you're fighting off a congressman's advances and he brings up Chandra Levy. How do you not take that as a threat? That would absolutely be a threat or at least threatening. Right. I mean, that's, that's a woman who was having an affair with a congressman who later disappeared and was found dead. Now I, again, I, there's, you know, that, that you can read all about that case. There's nothing conclusive about what, how she died. Um, that being said, 
I mean, there's nothing. There was all sorts of conspiracy theories, I should say, about Khan. There's been a trial and everything about how she died. But well, but in still, that in that specific context, if Conyers is bringing that up in that context, why bring that up? He, it, well, yeah, in that context, he's he's making parallels and allegations to the context of their situation, of the situation right. that Conyers and this intern were in. That's the only reason you would bring that up. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm just having, as you read the details of what some of these women went through, uh, and then maybe maybe some, you know, some men in some instances. I, I think a lot of Kevin Spacey's victims were men, for instance. Um, when you read about what they went through, it, it's not just, uh, you know, he, he got handsy or, or made some lewd comments or made a joke or, or tried to. I mean, it's, it's more serious than that. This is scary stuff. This was people's lives. Those people's careers. It's not funny. It's not funny, by the way, with Roy Moore either. I, I None of it's funny. You should see the blowback I'm getting. I, I wrote about the whole, uh, the idea that, that Roy Moore uh, being a dilemma for Republicans and rejecting that. It's, it's not a dilemma. There's no dilemma here, right? I mean, once you learn that somebody has been, you know, a, as an adult, was seeking out physical romantic relationships, with teenagers, at least one of which was 14 at the time. There's no dilemma there. That's not a dilemma. That, that That's not even really a choice. How, how, do you, how do you make that a choice? How, how can you sit down and say that that's a choice? It's not a choice. He's a disgusting human being. I don't want another Democrat in the United States Senate, but... If the alternative is Roy Moore, then I guess that's what we got to do. That doesn't make me happy. That doesn't make me a liberal. I, I think that does probably make me a, a decent human being. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. So Frank is resigning, and I, I think the next thing, though, is if Roy Moore gets elected to the United States Senate, I, I don't see why, what, what are Republicans going to do. I, I don't see where they have any choice. Democrats are doing the right thing with Franken. Will Republicans do the right thing with Roy Moore if he gets elected? I don't know. Daryl Lee's North Dakota Farm Bureau is on next. This is Rob Port on WDAY 970 AM, 93.1 FM. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDY.com. Joining me now is Daryl Lees. He is the president of the North Dakota Farm Bureau. Daryl, how's it going? Uh, it's going well, Rob. How are you today? I am doing pretty good. We have uh, tax reform winding its way through Congress, everybody watching it, um, a lot of stuff being said about it. It's 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 a fluid situation. It's it's gone into conference committee. Obviously, you know, the the makeup of the bill could change quite a bit because the Senate and House versions of it have differences. And the final bill, which 
uh, make it sense to President Trump could be you know quite different than the one we see now. But uh, as it stands now, we have a lot of people out there saying things about um, about the bill and or the, I guess the bills because there's more than more than one and, and how it'll impact various industries. As a leader of one of North Dakota's most important agriculture groups, how are you looking at this bill? Is this is this good reform for your industry? Well, Rob, we're we're looking at it as a pretty positive for uh, agriculture. I mean, there's there's a lot of positive things in there, and uh, like any bill, though, we know that we got our eye on a couple of things. One of them being the 199 uh, deduction, the domestic production uh, activity deduction which mainly is, you know, affects uh, sugar beet growers, potato growers, and some edible bean growers. But, you know, so there's things that we've got our eye on. But overall, Rob, I mean, I, I think this is a positive. And, you know, there's there's a whole lot of nothing being said by some folks in North Dakota, quite honestly, that really can't tell you what's wrong with it. They're just trying to convince everyone that it's, it's bad for us without any real hard evidence of why. And so... You know, you got to take some of that as just background noise and, and go on. And and we support, you know, a, a true tax reform, and it's needed, and these bills are going to do that. Well, I think some of it is Senator Heitkamp cast a vote against the bill, and she obviously has a lot of groups that are leading to the left and are loyal to her and I think are coming out trying to give her some cover for that vote. Um, but but there are some people in, in the agriculture, for instance, North Dakota Farmers Union President Mark Watney, uh, I'm reading here from the Williston Herald, uh, he says, I quote, the takeaway from the farmer's perspective is that we may see a little bit of a break on the one side with income taxes lowering, but we may well lose all that back with the loss of things like 199. Uh, he then goes on and says the bigger concern is long term. Uh, he says that the tax proposal will add from $500 billion to $1.5 trillion to the deficit, he says that will trigger sequestration, mandatory spending cuts, a large portion of which will come from the farm bill, according to him. Now, what, what's your thought on that, on, on what he's arguing? I mean, he's saying, obviously, you brought up the 199 issue, but he's also saying because the tax bill is going to contribute to deficits, and I, I don't know that those projections are something we can rely on. Senator Hoven thinks we're actually going to see a revenue increase. I, time will tell, I suppose, but... Even supposing it does create deficits, you know, Mr. Watney's presuming this is going to be cut from the farm programs. Do you share that concern? Um, and no, Rob, I, I do not share that concern. And, and here's the reasons why. First of all, where were these guys at for eight years while President Obama and the Obama administration was raising the national debt nine to ten trillion dollars? We didn't hear anything out of them then, did we? And, and, you know, so, you know, there's a letter from Aaron Crowder out there today, too, which, by the way, was an Obama appointee into the FSA office uh, for eight years. And, and he's, he's ramping that up. This is, this is the protect, either one of two things going on here. We're protecting Heidi Heitkamp and her lack of a, a favorable vote for hardworking North Dakotans. Or we got some people that are trying to make a name for themselves saying, look at me, I'm going to run a campaign. And, and so let's let's really analyze that one and a half trillion. That's a static score. That's a that's a score of oh, we're, it's going to cost us. Well, can I remind people that a lowering of taxes is not a cost. Cost comes from spending and not being able to get that into control. So the other thing that our Congress has to do is address spending issues at the same time. But if you take the dynamics of growth in the in the economy. From what's going to happen, what, what many of us perceive and believe will happen, 
with a real true tax reform, there's, it's going to be cash positive uh, or, or at least neutral. And so, I mean, getting the economy growing, that's, that's job number one. And quite frankly, there wasn't a Democrat that supported getting the economy growing. Well, let me because you you make that point that and and I I believe that too to the extent that there's a revenue issue, you know whether whether tax reform impacts revenues you know negatively or positively either way, we still need spending reform in this country. I, I don't think there's just any question of whether whether the federal government starts pulling in more revenue as a result of this tax reform bill or loses some revenue as as a result of it. Either way, again, we need spending reform. Federal government's too big, Absolutely. too bloated, spending too much money. That being said, what Mr. Watney is saying is that that spending reform is going to come at the cost of farm programs. What's your response to that? Um, spending reduction probably has to come at the cost of every program, Rob. That's the way you do spending. And, and then, you, then you do it, but you don't do it in a broad brush sense. You look at and you prioritize what's important. And our members are telling us, we want true reforms. These reliefs and these programs that they're claiming as, oh, we're giving farmers and ranchers relief, quote-unquote, we're done with the relief. We're done with the heavy hand of regulation that increases our costs, and then they give us a little bit of money, uh, you know, with the carrot out in front of us on that stick, so to speak, that doesn't cover the cost of the regulation. We, our members are saying, we're done with that. We're done with this false sense of relief. We want true reforms. Give us a level playing field across the board. We don't need all these programs, but don't pick winners and losers as a government. And that's what a lot of these programs do. And then you create inequality. So, you know, will there be some cuts? I can't say that there definitely won't be, but I don't think they're going to be to the point uh, that, you know, we've got to believe the sky has fallen because in the last farm bill, agriculture did some tremendous reduction. They, they took the front end. They took the lead on reductions, and I think that lead needs to be crossed over into the other program areas. I, I got a message here uh, from a, a farmer. It says, Rob, I'm a Republican. I'm a sugar beet grower. I think the right vote is just as Heidi did. The reformer removed the Section 199 deduction for cooperatives. This alone would cost me in excess of $45,000, about the same amount I am currently receiving from the farm program payments. So even though I'm a Republican, I agree with Heidi's vote. What's your response to somebody like that? Well, so let's talk about where that lays. The Senate didn't have that in their bill. So to say Heidi made the right vote because of that issue, that's not in the Senate bill. That's in the House version bill that that's removed. So you gotta, we, we have to have an understanding of what bill has what issue in it. And, in fact, the Senate, that's one thing that I think Senator Hovind has vowed to watch very closely, work hard to make sure that the conference committee works on and addresses that issue. So Heidi wasn't voting for that person or the sugar beet industry's case there because it wasn't contained in the Senate bill. Fair point. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Do you think Congressman Kramer was wrong then? I mean, obviously the House version contained that. Congressman Kramer voted for that. Uh, do you think that was the wrong vote for him? No, I don't think it was. And here's the reason, Rob. There's so many good things in there um, that, you know, if, if we think that there's ever going to be a perfect bill that doesn't have something that's concerning or, that, or adjustments, change is tough. There's anxiety with change. When you're, when you're simplifying the tax code, 
and you're broadening that base, so to speak, of, of the folks that are participating in it, there's there's going to be some adjustments. Now, is, if it's going to cost that, if that's truly the case, that it's going to cost that individual $45,000, that's, that's what concerns us, is we don't know what that exact cost is going to be. Let's really look at that. And, and, okay, if that's part of the base that has to be brought and to be brought back in that is maybe getting a pretty fair shake right now, but let's not go overboard. 45000 would be overboard, definitely. And that's why we're watching it, and that's why, you know, through American Farm Bureau, they're, they're really aggressive on this. And, of course, we're affiliated with them. That's our national organization, uh, the largest ag organization in the world, nearly 6 million members. And, and so, I mean, we're, we're paying attention to that. But there are so many other good things in that bill that, you know, Congressman Kramer, I think, did the right thing. And and he's raised that concern because we've raised that concern. We've had members from the Northeast where this mainly affects, you know, because that's where potatoes and a lot of the edible beans and a lot of the sugar beets are growing. And, you know, our, our district director up there on our board, uh, Nathan Green, Green's family is very, very involved in uh, the sugar industry for a lot of a lot of time, you know, a lot of decades, and and they raised that question, and and I raised that question to Congressman Kramer, and and they had a chance to sit down and, and visit with Congressman Kramer as a sugar industry about it also, and so you know he, they're they're going to be looking at this and making sure that they can do it as equitable of a deal. But anytime you're talking true reform, there are give and takes. We just want to make sure that those takes that they're doing aren't so egregious. Daryl, last question. Obviously, we've talked about the 199 issue. And Senator Hoven, I mean, like you said, the, the, the Senate bill didn't have it. The House bill did. They're in reconciliation. Uh, Senator Hoven says he's pretty confident that issue can be worked out during the reconciliation process between the, the bill between the two chambers. Uh, outside of the 199 issue, as a leader of one of the most important agriculture industries industry groups in our state, Anything else out of the bill bother you? I mean, I mean, anything else that you're looking at here that that the bill's not not good for your industry? Well, you know, there there was, you know, uh, when you start talking nonprofit organizations, there was, you know, on the Senate side, it contained some UBIT tax things, some unrelated business income tax things that uh, we addressed because it was going to take the ability for, you know, producer uh, organizations such as ours or or others. Uh, it was really going to lay a pretty big burden on the 40% of their unrelated business income tax, like their royalties or their, you know, agreements uh, that they have to use uh, use our names or other organizations for other, you know, industries related to them to use their name. And so, you know, that was something that got taken out, uh, got removed and, and fixed on the Senate side that we were aggressive on, so that our voices as an industry weren't going to be, you know, washed out there. And, and so, I mean, I think it's, you know, there's always things, like I said, that was one thing that we looked at. Um, and But, you know, there's so many positive things, you know, doubling the individual uh, deduction, things like that. That's that's good for hardworking families in North Dakota, whether they're farmers, ranchers, small businessmen, or, or blue-collar workers uh, that, that are going to work every day and coming home and, and helping uh, someone else's business be successful. Those kind of things are just absolutely positive across the board. And that's why I think the right votes were made uh, where they were. And and credit where credit is due. They're going to find these things. Daryl, thanks for your your time. Appreciate it. That's Daryl Lees, president of the North Dakota Farm Bureau. I'm Rob Port, 970 WDY, AM 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
Welcome back. Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDY.com. Went a little long with our guest, Daryl Leeds, from the North Dakota Farm Bureau. Um, I, I think he's got a point. When, when you're hearing some of these people come out and say, oh, the tax, it's horrible for farmers, it's horrible. I, I think a lot of that's political cover for Heidi Heitkamp. I also think he makes a good point. The bill's not perfect. Right. I, I mean, it's not perfect. The problem is our tax bill has become it's become a vehicle for politicians to hand out special favors to special interest groups. I don't know that there's any way to un- what what I, what they're trying to do is to unroll some of the special breaks, some of the special deductions, try to, to, to wall off some of the branches of the labyrinth that is the tax code and have a simpler code overall. Right. Fewer brackets, lower rates, fewer deductions, but the standard deduction going up. I mean, that, that's the thing. They're, they're trying to replace all these special targeted deductions with broader deductions. And along the way, you know, the math for some people is is going to change. And, you know, there's probably going to be some pain for some. But I don't know how we get to that overarching goal of the simpler tax code, which just about everybody says they want. I don't know how we get there. Without some pain for some people, and as time goes on, you know, I, I'm sure those people will adjust. They'll make adjustments to their business models. I mean, that's the thing too. You can't look at this as a static analysis. If we change the tax code, you may have to change the way you organize your business. You may have to change the way you organize your revenue. But that's okay. I, I, it, as long as it gets us to lower taxes, fewer brackets, simpler code, I think we're I think we're a win ahead. I, I, I think that's just the right direction to go. All right, coming up in the next segment, Attorney General Wayne Stengel is going to be on. We're going to talk about this national reciprocity issue. The NRA is pushing it. Attorney General Wayne Stengel, uh, who has been an advocate for uh, you know fighting to get North Dakota reciprocity uh, with other states in the past, now the push for national reciprocity. We'll talk with him about that. Of course, you can join in, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. This is the Rob Report. Hour two coming right up. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port here on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Your call in number 701 293 Email talk at WDAY.com. You can tweet me too at Rob Port. By the way, there's a podcast for the show too. People are always asking me afterwards, you know, they missed part of an interview or they heard somebody was on and they didn't get a catch to a chance to catch it. A lot of times I put audio of, of the interviews up at sayanythingblog.com. But not every, everyone, and I, I certainly don't do the open phone segment. But if you ever want to catch the whole show, there's an archive. If you go to sayanythingblog.com, there's a tab there. It's called The Rob Report. You click that. You get information. Everything is podcasted there, the entirety of every show. You can check that out. You subscribe to it on your smartphone, Apple, Google. It's easy as heck. Once you subscribe, you'll get a notification when the podcast downloads every day. You can listen to it right away. Works great, and it's free. So, great way to, to stay uh, stay up on the show. Uh, we have Attorney General Wayne Stengem joining me now. Wayne, how's it going? Well, good to talk to you, Rob. 
Seems like we've been talking about concealed carry reciprocity for a long, long time. I think first in North Dakota, you know, I, I don't want to say fighting, but negotiating with other states uh, to get reciprocity. Uh, but now the issue of, of national reciprocity has come up. The NRA putting out a press release saying that you are uh, joining with 23 other states uh, urging Congress to enact national concealed carry reciprocity legislation. Tell us about that. Uh, the, the bill, uh, there's actually two bills, one in the House and then a companion bill that mirrors the House bill over in the Senate. And it's very simple. What it would say is that an individual who has a right to carry a concealed handgun or possess a concealed handgun in their home state would be equally entitled to carry a, uh, concealed in other states that allow its own residents to carry concealed firearms. So North and North Dakota is really in a pretty good uh, spot, and you're uh, you're exactly right. We've worked hard to achieve reciprocity of our own licensing uh, uh, system here in North Dakota with other states. Now we are, uh, may, I think, the only state that has reciprocity with every other state that allows um, concealed carry, uh, at least for those who have the Class One license. There are 40 states. North Dakota is one of them, of course, that allow. Um, concealed carry, and we have reciprocity for uh, for uh, the Class One licenses with every one of the other states. Those who have Class Two licenses have reciprocity with 25 other states. But it has been a long and difficult slog to achieve that. We had terrible problems trying to get Minnesota to finally recognize our concealed. Uh, carry statute. Finally, they did just a couple of years ago. I was very happy, but it took 12 years to accomplish that. And so now this bill will come along and, and it will provide that uh, if if you are a, a visitor in a, another state that allows its own residents to carry uh, concealed, you, uh, the visitors should be treated just the same as their own residents. So, but if you're going to a state that doesn't allow concealed carry, you still can't concealed carry That's there. Right. The, the, That's the right. state this that you're going to has apply to, to those who are lawfully able to, uh, to carry concealed in their own state, traveling to another state that allows its own residents to carry concealed. When so, we for have example, ta- you've got California and New York. They don't, don't allow anybody. And I think the point of this federal legislation is to provide that you ought to be treating your visitors just exactly the same as you treat your own residents. Do concealed carry laws vary a lot from state to state? I mean, it seems to me like a lot of times, depending on which state you're in, I mean, some states, like North Dakota, uh, or I, I, some states, basically, if, if you're allowed if you're allowed to own a gun, you're allowed to conceal carry. I mean, what, what do they call it? Constitutional carry they've Constitutional gone to. Constitutional carry. Just a few states actually have that. North Dakota right. entered, that, uh, uh, entered that system uh, just last legislative session, and that right. law took effect uh uh, August first. So, so it seems like we have a... a license, and they do vary from place to place. And this legislation would provide, of course, that when you travel to Colorado or Montana or wherever else, they do allow concealed carry. You have to abide by their restrictions on, for example, places where you can carry it. Some places are more restrictive as far as government buildings and parks and and you know those kinds of places so you have to abide by the local regulation but you are would be treated the same as as those states treat their own residents and i don't see any reason why there should be a differential between how how a resident of one state uh, is treated as compared to somebody else who comes from another state who is entitled to carry in their own state 
as, as, as a practical matter, if this passes, I mean, right now North Dakota has constitutional carry. Is that all I would need to carry in another state then, or do it, I have it to? It would. I, I think technically it would under the current iteration of the bill that you would be allowed to do that. But I think most people in our experience, at least since August 1st, still want that license. Uh, I thought that after the constitutional carry uh, measure was passed that we'd see a a reduction in the number of people who are applying for concealed weapons licenses, but that's not happening. Uh, we, uh, we're seeing things are pretty steady, and I think the reason for that is people like to have that license, so they have it in their wallet and they can show it, and, and uh, there won't ever be any question. So we now have, excuse me, 47,000 uh, active concealed weapons licenses in North Dakota, and about a third of those are class one, and two thirds are the are the class two. And the number of applications that we're seeing and processing has remained pretty steady since August. <laughs> one one question that a lot of people have had when we've brought because again we've been talking about national reciprocity, not just reciprocity with other states, but also national reciprocity for a long time. And and in the past when we've talked about national reciprocity, there has been concern about giving up some level of state sovereignty over our own concealed carry laws, which basically meaning in order to comply with, with like some sort of federal reciprocity, you know, they would they would tie strings or, or, or you know manipulate our local policy. Because uh, obviously, you know, we've just talked about there's a very broad spectrum of, of although a lot of states allow concealed carry, how you you know the process through which you get that ranges from constitutional carry in North Dakota to much more arduous processes in other states. What does this bill to address that concern about North Dakota losing sovereignty over concealed carry policy? Well, I you know I think we of course there is uh, we have as broad a statute as uh, you possibly could uh, conceive of, and I think it works well for us here in North Dakota. I suppose there is a level of. Uh, loss of some of the some of the local control, you still would have within the states the right to determine the places where uh, where you'd be allowed to carry. But this is a issue of of national concern. I mean, I think that the Commerce Clause, which includes the right to travel and the uh, Privileges and Immunities Clause, says uh, would indicate that it's perfectly within the purview of Congress to make a determination that. Uh, one state ought to be treating uh, its uh, visitors who come to their state the same way as they treat their own citizens. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand. If you want to join in, eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Um, is there any? Is there going to be any information shared between the states? I mean, if if for instance, and again, North Dakota has constitutional carry, but but say I have a concealed carry permit in one state. Is, is, are our states going to have to share that information with one another? Otherwise, how does an officer in, say, Colorado know that I'm properly licensed to concealed carry in, in another state? Well, I think that there would be need. There would need to be that. We provide that kind of information right on our website, so it's not that hard to get uh, information about what states we already recognize for. Uh, reciprocity is right on our website. There's ample information that is available. Yeah, so but, but what about what about a specific license holder? Well, what about it? I mean, if I'm if I'm telling a, an officer in Colorado, yeah, I'm licensed to concealed carry in, I don't know, Oklahoma. How does that officer in Colorado verify well, that? Well, I, I mean, one easy way would be to call their counterpart, and, and this happens all the time. Call their counterpart law enforcement agencies in the other state. Check our website, and and uh, I think the point you're making is it might be useful at some point to have some kind of a national information base so that you could quickly go in and find out what it is. But it's not. 
that hard to find out, and that's just one of the things law enforcement officers do is get the facts um, as they're uh, investigating uh, situations. Well, I, I think it's a good thing. I, I think a simplification is is needed. Uh, you know, it's conce- keeping a bearing arms is a civil right. It's the Second Amendment. You're allowed to do it. A, and and I don't I don't think having a, a bit you know going from state to state and having sort of a maze of different laws and and I think it really puts it, it, it jeopardizes our ability to exercise that right. So I think this is a well, big and the, step. And the Supreme Court has said that the Second Amendment is a fundamental right, no less so than the First Amendment and most of the other provisions of the Bill of Rights. And so I don't think you should have to surrender rights that you have just because you happen to be crossing over from one border of a state to another. I should mention, too, while I'm on the topic, so that your listeners know that uh, Congressman Kramer and Senator Hoven are co-sponsors of this legislation in their respective chambers, and I, I understand from your Facebook posting that uh, Congressman Kramer is going to be on your show. Maybe you can ask him where the bill is and what he thinks the prospect of finally getting something like this through would be. I can tell you, we have Congressman Kramer on every week for an open phone segment. That's a sort of a thing he does. Mm-hmm. And just about every week, he gets asked about reciprocity legislation. Oh, so I think our good, listeners because care. Because I was the one that I was getting for the, every time that I would uh, yeah. go out in public was, when are we going to get reciprocity with Minnesota? And I will tell you, it was a difficult thing. Yeah. The, thing the reason that a bill like this will help is that if Minnesota decides to tweak or change their, their uh, concealed weapons law, uh, we could find that North Dakota is now out of compliance and we no longer have reciprocity with the one state that includes the most cross-border traffic and uh, population. Well, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think a lot of people worried about reciprocity, obviously, because a lot of people in North Dakota travel. They go from state to state. Maybe they live on the border. Maybe they're a yep. truck driver. It's an important thing. Wayne, thanks for your time. Appreciate My pleasure. It. And a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and everything else to you and your family, Rob. Thank you, Wayne. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at wday.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY, AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDY.com. I, I'm excited to hear about the national reciprocity legislation. I think it's a good thing. Um, I, I mean, listen, most people who own guns are, are law-abiding people. Uh, it's a, the Second Amendment is a, it's a constitutional right. It's a civil right. It's long been upheld by the Supreme Court as an individual right. I think that the proponents of gun control, the anti-gun people in the past, knowing that outright prohibition of gun ownership is probably not is a political pipe dream, I think have sought to make ownership, possession, purchase of, of, of firearms so difficult that most people won't exercise their right. And, and among the ways to complicate it, I think, is having you know, fighting off reciprocity, making it difficult to go from state to state uh, with with a firearm, you know, without, you know, ha- having to get a license in each one of these states. Now, pushing back against that have been reciprocity agreements. National reciprocity makes sense. I mean, the the, the right to keep and bear arms is not a state-level issue. It's in the U.S. Constitution. It's explicitly a federal issue. Now, 
Granted, the various states have sovereignty over their laws and have the ability to make firearm policy, you know, that's in line with the Second Amendment, uh, and we should respect that. Uh, but that being said, if you're qualified to conceal carry in one state, you should be qualified to conceal carry in another state. That just makes sense to me. I, I, I think it just makes sense. I, I think it's going to be uh, a big debate. It's going to be interesting. I, I think the reciprocity bill will probably pass at Congress. We can certainly ask Congressman Kramer about that. He's going to be on here in a few minutes. Uh, the U.S. Senate's probably going to be where that's a big, a big lift. What do you think about that, Natalia? Are you worried at all about reciprocity? Not personally, I guess. It's not on my personal agenda, partly because I, I don't own any firearms, so it's not necessarily on my radar. But I, sort of in a general scope, I feel like as a nation, we should have even rules, I guess is what I'll call it. Yeah. It seems silly to me that as a nation who in its constitution, in the base that founded this country, wrote in protections for firearms, we can't find a way to agree as a country how those firearms are supposed to work. And the difference of two miles can make a difference on how you're allowed to access and yeah. utilize those firearms. That seems strange to me. Yeah. I mean, the problem there is obviously from state to state, we have different political outlooks, um, and which can result in, in very different policy, ranging from, and again, there's a very broad, even among states that allow concealed, I mean, you have everything from states that don't allow concealed carry at all, to states like North Dakota, which allow concealed carry as a de facto status. I mean, North Dakota has constitutional carry laws. You are allowed to concealed carry in North Dakota being nothing other than, than a lawful gun owner. That's the status quo in North Dakota now. So that is obviously a very broad spectrum of policy. And, you know, I, I think there's an argument to be made that states should be allowed that sovereignty over policy, right? I, I'm a state's rights person. So I don't want to just craft a piece of federal legislation at the national level that's a one-size-fits-all gun policy. I think that'd be a mistake. I think the federal government has too much power over policy to begin with. And, I, I, I mean, you look at how much policy now is affected by the wild swings in politics in Washington, D.C. I mean, everything from the tax code to how we're enforcing regula reg uh, regulatory regimes, energy regulation, agriculture regulation. I mean, this is all varying from, you know, we elect a different president and all of a sudden everything changes. We switch, we see a shift in power in Congress and all of a sudden everything changes. I, I think the last thing we need our Second Amendment rights being held in thrall to that sort of the, the sort of volatile politics of Washington, D.C. So, uh, you know, I, I like the idea of states keeping control of this. Uh, I, I like the idea, though, of, of having some facility between the states to recognize, you know, I mean, really, it's, it's sort of like a driver's license, right? I mean, I'm licensed to drive in the state of North Dakota. Now, with that license, I can drive all over the country and still be recognized as a qualified driver because I passed the test here in the state of North Dakota. It's a similar sort of thing, and it makes sense. I mean, can you imagine, Natil, if, 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 if your North Dakota driver's license didn't necessarily work in Minnesota? That's how it was with concealed carry permit for a long time. North Dakota's didn't work in Minnesota. Can you imagine if your driver's license didn't work in Minnesota? Yeah, that'd be well. Then we would run into an issue where none of all of the states would essentially be their own countries because we yeah. we wouldn't be able to 
travel interstate. Yeah. I mean, there is a balance between, and listen, I'm a states' rights guy. I like giving, I like allowing the states to solve problems in creative ways because the states are different. North Dakota is a much different place than Georgia, than Florida, than New York, than California. And I, I think it's great that we can make policies in North Dakota that we feel best fit North Dakotans. Um, but that being said, we are one nation, <laughs> and you know there, there's got to be some facility among the states for people to be able to travel, move from state to state, and still exercise their rights, uh, like the Second Amendment. Driving's not even a right. I mean, driving on public roads is is a privilege, but your Second Amendment right, not a privilege. It's a right. So, I don't know. I think we're moving in the right direction. We can certainly ask Congressman Kramer about that. By the way, he's coming up next. If you have comments or questions for him, tax reform reciprocity his favorite color his favorite band whatever you want that's coming up next 701-293-9000 email talk at wday.com we'll be right back don't go away Welcome back, Rob Port, 970 WDAY, AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Congressman Kevin Kramer should be joining us in a moment. I got a note from his office. Uh, they're finishing up some votes, so he may be just a couple minutes late here, uh, but we'll get him on just as soon as he calls in. Uh, there was actually a vote today in the House on impeachment for Donald Trump. Uh, I think it was um, it was it was defeated overwhelmingly. Uh, there were some, I, I think, 350 plus votes against it. I think there were only like 50 some, less than 60 votes uh, in favor of it. 58 House Democrats voted to impeach President Donald Trump. Uh, 364 voting to table it. Uh, and actually, maybe we could talk with uh, Congressman Kramer about that right now. Uh, Congressman, do I need to ask? Did you vote to uh, impeach Donald Trump? <laughs> I did not. I did vote to table uh, the motion, as uh, as you just recognized, the vast majority of my colleagues did. So, no. All right. That settles that. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about... For now. Yeah, for now. Uh, Let's talk about reciprocity. We actually had uh, Attorney General Wayne Stendrum, and and I, I was telling the Attorney General, just on every time we have you on for one of these, we get a phone call about national reciprocity for, for gun ownership. But now it's looking like a real thing. Attorney General Senjum, uh signing on along with uh, 23 other states and urging Congress uh, to enact concealed uh, carry reciprocity legislation. And the Attorney General has said that we should ask you about where that, that legislation is at now that the NRA has kind of put, put some energy into it. They have. Uh, my understanding is the NRA is scoring it as a high priority. Uh, gun owners of America have been very uh, outspoken and uh, supportive of it. I don't think they they scored. I don't know if they do scores, but they, I don't think they like have a uh, pass fail type of a or pass you know kill type of a score mechanism on it. But they do. They are very favorable toward it, or at least their statements have been. Um, 
So, yeah, we, I, here's where we are. We just came back. I just got back from the floor where we passed the, out the rule for debate. And so they're debating it now for the next, I suppose, hour, hour and a half. And we'll go back to the floor here late this afternoon. And uh, every indication is that we will pass a uh, H.R. 38, which is a Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act of 2017. And uh, basically what it does is it provides uh, reciprocity for individuals that have a valid state permit, you know, or residents of states with a, a right to uh, constitutional concealed carry, and then it makes it does also make some updates to the, to the uh, National Instant Criminal Background Check System that you hear so much about. That's the sort of the registry, I guess they call it sometimes. But anyway, so it, it basically allows law-abiding citizens to, to carry a concealed uh, if they're as long as they're not federally prohibited from possessing or uh, a firearm or receiving it. Because obviously there are some laws against uh, against certain people carrying uh, or owning firearms and carrying firearms. But well, me- as long as you're within the law, you, yeah. And this, this is a question I had for for the attorney general, and I also a question for you. I mean, obviously, the, there's a broad spectrum for how you go about getting a concealed, even among the states that allow concealed carry. There are yes. Some some states it's a lot harder than others. Now in North Dakota, we now have constitutional carry. Yeah. Does this bill, if this if the House version of this bill ends up becoming law, does this mean I can walk into another state without? You know, I don't I don't have a concealed carry license here in North Dakota. I I now have constitutional carry. Can I then take that to other states under this bill and and be able to conceal carry there? Yeah, this also applies to constitutional concealed carry rights. So you're right. Whether whether you have a state that has a um, state issued permit, or if you come from a state like North Dakota that is, has a right to constitutional concealed carry, it's uh, it's now or at least our bill uh, carries reciprocity with it. Now we're just the House of Representatives, remember? Um, so it does still require support in the upper chamber once we pass it today. And every indication is we will pass it today. Let's switch gears to uh, tax reform. And by the way, if you have any comments or questions for the congressman, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. House has passed their bill. Senate's passed their bill. Uh, what we are hearing from a lot of people here in North Dakota is that this tax reform is bad for farmers. We've heard that, I think, from Senator Heitkamp. We have heard that from her former lieutenant governor candidate, Eric Crowder, who I think is pretty transparently readying himself for a, a campaign next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also hearing that from the North Dakota Farmers Union. Uh, President Mark Watney, uh, he's complaining about the loss of the 199 deduction. He's also saying that uh, this, this tax bill is going to create deficits, and that's going to be balanced with cuts from the farm programs. Uh, first of all, the, the status of the 199, that, that's one thing I'm hearing a lot. Where are we at with that? So the 199 is a, it's a deduction specifically for agriculture, horticulture, you know, agribusinesses. It's widely utilized by cooperatives, um, you know, like, you know, sugar cooperatives or pasta cooperative or, or, you know, any number of types of cooperatives. It's, when I say used by them, the deduction is, is, um, granted to the corporation and then they generally and this isn't always the case but they're allowed to and oftentimes just pass that that benefit on to their members you know customers slash members um the 199 deduction was repealed in both house and the senate bills however it remains on the table for debate during what will now or at least very soon be the uh, conference committee the house passed uh, our 
bill or our resolution on Monday night to go to conference, and then Speaker Ryan named the conferees. Uh, I was in a meeting at noon with uh, Senator uh, McConnell, Leader McConnell, and Leader uh, McCarthy, with a couple dozen of our colleagues, and he said they were going to vote on it today, so the Senate will name their conferees by the end of today. That means the conference committee can get together uh, immediately and start negotiating uh, through the differences and reconciling them. So, um, the 199 deduction is still on the table. However, I, I, I mean, you named three liberal, liberal, you know, either individuals or organizations, farm organizations that that are opposing um, our bill. Uh, the conservative farm groups, of course, are not. And so well, we had we had Daryl Lees on the program. That. Yeah, we had Daryl Lees on the program earlier. Yeah, uh, and he, you know, he he made that point as well. Although he did say that they were, you know, they're watching the 199 issue as right. well. They are concerned about. They have members that are concerned about that. Yep. So here's what we're gonna. I, I believe that either 199 will end up getting back in. The deduction will either get back in. It may not be in section 199 of the code. Remembering, we are replacing 74,000 pages of carve-outs for special interests and replacing that with a simplification of less than 500 pages. So, you know, the whole goal of this is to eliminate deductions, loopholes, credits, um, carve-outs for special interests, and then applying more across the board lower taxes. And every special interest group, of course, would love to have the lower rates, the simpler tax code, and their favorite their favorite deduction. So whether 199 remains or not, there'll be some replacement for it in, in the sense of, remember, first of all, that we're lowering the pass-through rate to 25%. Many of the farmers that are getting, would get that now 25% rate are currently paying 42 or 39.6% rate. So right out the you know right off the bat they're in a lower bracket. Secondly, um, we allow same year expensing. So for a lot of these cooperatives and, and, and farm you know individual farmers, um, they're able to expense their their costs in the year in which they uh, make the the uh, expenditure. So that's a huge benefit as well as uh, you know the, on the pass through side. Of, 23% deduction, right? You know, right out of the chute, 23% deduction. So there's a lot to like about this if you're a small business person, and I think farmers are small business people. They're generally pass throughs or, um, you know, partnerships or LLCs or sole proprietorships who benefit from um, the tremendous, the tremendous, um, you know, benefit to. To these smaller businesses, well, but in addition it, to that, we do. Oh, and by the way, it, well, there's some other things relevant to farmers, but they're generally things that are already in the code that we're maintaining. Yeah, well, that's I, I, the 199 is one concern, but the other talking point, and again, we're hearing this from Mr. Watney, we're hearing this mm-hmm. from Senator Heitkamp's allies, like like uh, Mr. Crowder, uh, and I, I and I, I agree with you. I think a lot of the noise that they're making is about providing cover for Senator Heitkamp for her vote. But another thing they're saying, they're making the claim that, you know, this is going to add to the national debt, yeah. which, yeah. you know, I, I I know what the Republican argument about that is, is that, well, no, this is going to stimulate economic growth. I, I don't know that anybody can look yeah. out 10 years and say what our economy is going to do. And there's right. all sorts of things that can happen that may not have anything to do with the tax code. We could have a natural disaster. We could have a war. We could have a lot of things. We could have a drought. We could have a lot of things that could happen that could impact tax revenues that we don't know what's going to happen. But what he's saying is, here's his quote. Uh, this is from Mr. Watney. He says, I'm very concerned about the pot of money we will have available to write farm bills. The baseline for farm bill funding has been cut already by $100 billion over the past 10 years. It's too low of a benchmark to begin with, and we can't afford to slash farm programs like crop insurance to fund tax cuts. That would be disastrous for agriculture in our country. Your response? Well, a couple of things. First of all, we already have a budget uh, a, uh, a budget agreement that maintains this 
uh, status quo for um, agriculture into the next budget cycle. And second of all, um, the farm bill, the current farm bill, is coming in at about a hundred, uh, about a hundred uh, million under budget already. Or maybe it's hundred billion. I, you know, you lose track of your millions and billions, right? So it's already coming in well under budget, and that's in a low commodity cycle. So to his point about the baseline is lower, the goal is for the baseline to be lower. That that's the goal of a growing economy. That's the goal of a self-sufficient people is to is to get them off the government, not to add more government to it. And I know that sounds like heresy to some people, but. But what we do want to have is a, a an adequate safety net in the form of crop insurance, and we're working on that. We expect that that'll be the case. Every indication in talking to uh, Chairman Conway and other members of the uh, Ag Committee is that that will be the case. Um, and and then to try and prop up some of the other funding programs without adding money, but finding ways to leverage other uh, money on the financing side, and and frankly to clear up some of the discrepancies between the the, the ARC and the PLC programs, and we're working on specific legislation to. Do that all of which won't cost more money to the taxpayers, but provide more uh, of a safety net for the farmer. But the goal, you know, I don't know anybody whose goal every year is to get more money from the government, ex- unless you're a federal agency, I suppose. Um, so I, I just I would argue with the, the whole baseline approach to that being a problem. But our baseline for this year's farm bill or next year's farm bill is the same as the current farm bill. Just a couple of minutes left. I was reading an article in CNN Money earlier this week. Uh, Coal CEO Robert Murray of Murray Energy, he's warning that the tax bill is going to destroy thousands of coal mining jobs. Um, he's saying they don't have enough cash flow, uh, basically, to, to deal with some of the deductions that the tax bill wipes out. I mean, obviously, coal's very important here in North Dakota. Address that. Well, actually, the wind industry and the solar industry are saying the same thing about the bill that it, you know that we're lowering some of the incentives and credits and deductions for uh, renewable energy as well. And, and uh, yes, there are some things we're working on on the energy side. I'm trying to you know work toward more of a, a technology neutral or a fuel neutral. Um, tax code uh, with regard to energy. And in that regard, I think coal does very, very well. We would like to restore some credits specifically for uh, clean coal research and development and, you know, um, carbon capture utilization grants and whatnot to build that bridge and make sure that bridge is built from today's policies to, to tomorrow's clean coal technologies. Uh, but we also remember we we do make permanent research and development grants um, uh, or credits, I'm sorry, which is also very important to, you know, more modern coal and other kinds of energy technologies that everybody can use across the board. And I think that's one of the things that's missed in a lot of this is, again, we're eliminating that sort of the industry-specific benefits and trying to apply those benefits across the board. So even whether you're a family of four or a pass-through business or a corporation, that you you aren't discriminated against because you don't have children, or you're not discriminated against because you you choose to work at home, or you're not discriminated against uh, because you your your house is only four hundred thousand dollar mortgage instead of a six hundred thousand yeah. dollar mortgage. You know, we're just we're trying to again replace seventy four thousand with fewer than five hundred uh, pages, and there's, we're gonna it's gonna be tweaked not only until we finally vote on the final product, you know, probably in the next week to ten days, but um, also um, you know tweaking it as we go forward beyond that because that's well, why we're here. That's the other thing I'd say about you know you mentioned the deficit and blowing up deficit. I mean a lot of these people that are concerned about you know the increase of a trillion dollars in a deficit over 10 years have no you know 
they've never been concerned about the deficit when they voted to increase yeah. the debt ceilings or well, they voted for when we were, all we were trying to, spending bills. You know? We were trying to spend our way back into a growing economy. That's right. Under That's right. So we still Obama. have to deal with that yeah. trillion dollars on the other side through appropriations and budgets and, and um, you know, other means of becoming a lot more efficient and effective as a government. But we don't yeah. we do one of those things at a time. I, I got a quick message for you before you go. Uh, one of your bosses, one of the voters, emails in. <laughs> Tell the congressman after it passes today, talking about H.R. 38, all who vote can have an extra week at Christmas break. So there you go. <laughs> Little incentive for you. Well, tell, tell him to call his senators. <laughs> yeah, well, no kidding. All right, yeah. Kevin, thanks for the time. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Rob. It's Congressman Kevin Kramer. We'll be right back. Wrap up the show after this. Don't go away. I hate to say, I, I think a lot of the rhetoric about the tax bill is about election politics. I think that's it's not really about policy. I don't think it's really about what's best for Americans. It's about Democrats trying to find wedges to make the tax bill into a political liability for Republicans. You know, and the thing is, like we talk about all this stuff, we talk about all these deductions. How many people even understand this stuff? I mean, that's how complex the tax code is. And then we use these things like these projections. Always going to add to the national debt over ten years. You don't know that. I, the economy is hugely complex. The tax code is one factor in it, which is why I, I don't really like the Republicans saying that that revisions to the tax code are going to generate enough revenue to pay for it. I think that's a tough claim to make because there's just too many variables. There's too many variables. Now, I, I generally do think that tax reform is a positive for the economy. I think lower taxes and a tax code that's easier to comply with is a plus. I, I, I think overall, those are pluses. Those are wins for our economy. But to say, to be able to you know, put, in it's going to cost us $1.5 trillion over the next 10 years. Nobody can say that. Any more than you could say what the weather is going to be two years from now. They don't know. They want you to think they know, but they don't know. All right, that's it. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Or, of course, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.